Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. What's up, party people? Welcome into another Fizz Radio podcast, radio show, everything you would like it to be. It is Jaron May, it is Cameron Izaire here for the next hour. We got plenty to talk about. We're going to talk about TBT and Bayheim's Army because they are coming up. We're also going to send it down to the ACC Media Days for football kickoff, which is down in Charlotte. Our guys, Matt Bonaparte and John Eads, are down there and they'll give us a little recap of every thing that they learn from Dino and the guys. Uh, and then, of course, we'll get the five-star review and fictional fizz and fizz feedback. It's a jam-packed show, but we got to start with the basketball tournament because it's coming up. It is quite literally this weekend, and if you're listening on the radio, it is quite literally today. Now, we are recording this a little early, so uh, some things might change from here until then, but Cam, this is going to be a big tournament for Bayheim's Army. I, I'll start with this. I'll give you a take, and I'll see how you react to it. I think that Bayheim's Army, they have the best chance that they have ever had any year, yet they will not win the championship. Yeah, I mean, this is by far the best chance that Bayheim's Army has ever had. You talk about the last, what, seven years, and it's a team that uh, hasn't really tasted that much of uh, of – you know, even close to a championship because of other teams that have been dominant over the past four or five years. But when it comes to this Bayheim's Army team, the fact that you add two guys from overseas elite, the, the team that's no longer playing in the TBT this year, on top of the fact you have a few other Syracuse guys making their TBT debuts and a few guys coming back. Of course, you have the consistent guys like Eric Devendorf, guys like that. I also agree with you. My prediction for this Bayheim's Army team was championship, but they're going to lose in the final. So they'll make it there. I think this team has the talent to make it to the championship and partly the experience, but I don't think that overall, when you look at how this team is constructed compared to the other teams in the bracket, I don't think this team has enough to win the entire thing. But I mean, I think this team makes it to the championship. I have a lot of faith in this Bayheim's Army team. No, 75%, and we're going to get into this in a little bit because it's a it's a pretty interesting. But of the experts for TBT, the people that, you know, the media members that really follow this tournament and know every single team in and out and kind of treat it like it's a March Madness, they created their own brackets. And TBT tweeted out the other day that over 75% of the quote-unquote experts for TBT are picking Bayheim's Army to win it all. Now, that was before news came out, and this is where I want to get your take on this. Pascal Truquu, which obviously he just uh, just finished his career at Syracuse a couple years ago. He is the big man. He is the seven-footer. He was the guy that was really going to hold down the middle for Bayheim's Army this year. However, it just came out just a few days ago that he will not be playing in the basketball tournament this year for Bayheim's Army because he is having some issues getting back into the country because of COVID-19 travel and safety precautions. He's not even able to get back into the U.S. How does the absence of the seven-footer and really the only true big man on this roster impact 
Bayheim's army lo- moving forward, at least in your opinion, Cam? I mean, Jaron, it's huge. I think it's everything. And a lot of people might be, you know, hearing me and saying, you're crazy. Like, yeah, Pascal Chuku, he's good. But it's not like this dude is, you know, the... Yeah, the, he's not great. Exactly. He, he's, not the, <laughs> he's not the guy when you look at Syracuse lore and you're saying, oh, well, if Pascal Chukwu can't play, then this team is screwed. But then you look at how the how the how right now the roster is constructed and you're talking about a guy in Tyler Lydon that when you really think about big men on this Bayheim's Army team, you have to rely on Tyler Lydon. And he's a power forward and he's a guy that likes to shoot the ball as well. The only other tall guy on this team at 6'9 is Chris McCullough. And as much as you want to list Chris McCullough as a power forward, I would say that he has more guard skills. So as much as Pascal Chuku, in my opinion, isn't that great, he would make a one heck of a difference because of his size. I think it's going to be a big determinant for the fact that Syracuse, or not Syracuse, but Bayheim's Army, the Syracuse alumni Oh, team, I do that all the time. Right. I do that all the time. <laughs> I, I think that it's going to be a big you know, uh, determiner in the fact that this team team is not going to win the entire thing. I think that's why both you and me think that maybe they will not reach that pinnacle moment. But I I think that playing small ball isn't the worst thing. You talk about the Elam ending. You talk about everything that's already happened in the TBT. A team like Eberlein Drive just put up 119 points a few weeks ago before being knocked out. So it's really about consistency on the scoring front. These are all guys that like to score and like to make an impact. So if this Bayheim's Army team can realize the talent on their group, I don't think that Chukwu will make that much of a difference. Unfortunately, I don't think that happens. And a lack of a big man, that's going to be a huge thing because when it comes to offensive rebounding and rebounding as a whole, I think that Bayheim's Army gets toasted. So I think it's huge, even though Pasquale Chukwu, I mean, if he was playing, am I saying that this Bayheim's Army team is 10 times better? No, but you're talking about positions. I think it'll make a huge difference. Yeah, I want to go back to an earlier point you made. You said that they that Pascal Chukwu's absence could lead could, you know, kind of help out the theory that you are now saying that they'll make it to the championship but they won't win. Now, the the way that I interpreted that was Pascal Chukwu is the determiner of winning and losing the championship in TBT. That might not be what you mean. However, I'm going to take that and run with it. Pascal Chukwu is great he's not a determiner and he's not going to really push the paper or, or whatever it may be to a winning a championship. Now, if Bayheim's army got to a championship and they had Pascal Chukwu or they didn't, I would put the same amount of uh, confidence into them winning or them losing as if he was there or not. So I, I don't think that changes much. I think your last point is really what hits it on the head where It was just, you needed him to be a rebounder. Because when we think back to last year, number one, Bayheim's Army kind of shot themselves in the foot last year with just the poor shot selection and hucking up threes, especially getting desperate at times where they didn't need to. But specifically, they just got crushed on the boards last season, and they could not keep up with some of the other teams. And sometimes they had enough talent to squeak by, and one time they didn't have enough, and that's ultimately what kicked them out of the tournament. Just having Pascal Chukwu on the floor to grab rebounds would have helped immensely. It would have helped so much. However, I don't take any, you know, sure you can say you lost a good player and you lost someone on the on the boards. I'm not really changing my expectations for this team now that Pascal Chukwu is not there because 
something else that you mentioned is TBT isn't really about big men. It's it's just not. When you watch these games, it's guards driven. It's it's running the pick and roll, but running the pick and pop mostly. It's it's not really feeding to the inside and just seeing an ISO of a big man against a big man. It's passing the ball, moving it quickly, pick and pop. You want the guards and you want the bigger wings that can kind of attack and still help you out on the inside. So sure. You know, this this first upcoming team uh, of Forces of Soul that Bayheim's Army is going to play this Saturday has three guys at 6'10 or taller, and Bayheim's Army only has Tyler Lydon, and like you said, he's not really a true big man. I'm not that afraid of what not having a big man is going to do to Bayheim's Army. I'm not afraid at all. And I think that when I was saying, you know, Pascal Chukwu could be that player that, you know, takes Beheim's army to a new level, I just don't think that he's the type of talent to do so. If you take another big man in his position, maybe. What I was trying to say is, you know, this team, at the end of the day, if you have Chukwu, if you don't, the experience is, and the championship experience, isn't that high compared to the other talent around the TBT. So I think that Pascal Chukwu, his absence will mean something. I don't know what it will mean because, again, if this team shoots consistently and uses these big men on other teams as a way to utilize their guard play and get open shots and drive and kick, I think Beheim's army is completely fine without Chukwu. I'm just interested to see... How does this team play? How does this team gel together? Because it's seven Syracuse guys and four non-Syracuse players. So uh, there should be a lot of chemistry between these guys. I'm interested to see no Chukwu. How do you adjust your game plan? You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Jaron May and Cameron Ezer. Uh Cam, we're going to leave the conversation with Pascal Chukwu right there. I think, you know... We both agree it's an impact, but not too much of an impact. Now, let's talk about this game coming up. Uh, again, if you're listening on the radio, it's it's actually happening today. If you are listening to our podcast version of this show, uh, it's going to be happening this Saturday. It's when Bayheim's Army takes on Forces of Soul. That is the first round matchup between the two teams. Forces of Soul is, is made up of uh, 11 different players that made their kind of mark overseas um, in Korea. So they're kind of led by these wannabe NBA players that just couldn't make the G League or couldn't get into a professional league any bigger than, you know, a Korean league. And they they made a decent career out there. There's some pretty good names like uh, Vernon Macklin, who's six ten, a big dude. He went to Georgetown. He went to Florida, two different universities. Uh, he had a pretty good Florida career. He's he was a consistent starter his junior and senior season. Was playing twenty five ish minutes. Was putting up double digit points. He's a solid player. He's a big man that might be able to take advantage of the Pascal Chukwu less. Beheim's army, but I don't see Forces of Soul putting up too much of a, you know, a, an issue 
uh, against Speyheim's army. Not at all. I mean, I talk about talent. This is a team in Forces of Soul that doesn't have that much of it compared to Beheim's army. It's a reason it's a three versus 14 matchup. The biggest thing that Forces of Soul can bank on is, of course, you know, the big men play down low, getting offensive rebounds, taking a guy like Tyler Lydon and Chris McCullough, taking those two out of the shooting department. But then you talk about the other guards around the perimeter for Beheim's army. I think it's an obliterate for Beheim's army because of the fact that I think this team has a better shooting performance. And I'm banking on this team shooting over 45% from three in this game because the defensive prowess of this Forces of Soul team doesn't look that great. And I just think Beheim's army has a pretty good start of the TBT. Okay, there you go. One other name that I will give you before we hit a break is Kevin Galloway. He is a pretty big stunt, like a, a stout dude, 6'7", 215, a wing. Uh, he he played in a plethora of colleges at USC, at College of Southern Indiana, or Idaho rather, uh, Kentucky, Texas Southern. He played all over the place, didn't really want to stay at one place for more than one year, which is a little weird. Went undrafted, played in the G league didn't make it in there and then he's just bounced around in from league to league to league right now uh he's actually been playing for the iraqi national team which is pretty impressive he played in the 2016 fiba asia challenge with them so he's got some talent it's kevin galloway vernon macklin those are the two big names that you need to know for forces of soul who are taking on Bayheim's army today all right, so that's your TBT talk after the break. We're going to send it down to Charlotte with the guys. It is going to be John Eads and Matt Bonaparte who will talk everything you need to know about ACC football kickoff. Don't go anywhere. Back on Fizz Radio, we are not Camazier and Jaron May. Instead, it's Matt Bonaparte and John Eads coming straight from Charlotte, North Carolina. We were at day two of ACC Media Kickoff today. John, we're going to be taking over for Jaron and Cam just for one block. They'll be back with you for five-star review right after this. But we just want to give you an update on all the coverage we've been doing down here. We've had daily updates on every single team. Uh, we're working on getting a lot more content out right now. I'm giving you a general preview of every team in the ACC that Syracuse will play. And John will give you a better angle inside to a specific uh, matter of what their team is dealing with right now. John, you were in the back rooms working with the teams today. Uh, I was in the ballroom for the opening statements. What did you hear that maybe I didn't? That's what I want to know. It's a lot of things I heard today. I got, honestly, Bones, I have more content than I can even release. There's literally no data left. There's no storage left on my phone. You're going to call these the Jeets tapes. Yes, you can call them the Jeets tapes. They're taking up all the space on my phone, and I'm trying to get all this out to you guys. So many things said in the back room. It's just such a great spot because you can literally just sit there and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with three of the integral pieces of these different football teams and really get a sense of what the program's like, how they're doing, and really what their season's going to look like this fall. So I got a lot of great stuff, a lot of great quotes from Syracuse and the rest of the Atlantic Division teams, as well as the Coastal. So let's talk about what we heard from Dino Babers and the three Syracuse representatives today. The representatives, athletes from Syracuse, were, of course, Taj Harris, wide receiver, offensive lineman Aaron Service, and defensive lineman Josh Black. What stood out to you from any of those guys, or even Coach Babers, uh, that was striking or something you were surprised by or just stood out to you? I guess something that stood out to me was 
the fact that Babers and Black, uh, Harrison in service as well, they didn't dodge the tough questions. They know they they know Syracuse went one and ten last year. They know they went one and ten. They know their season was awful. They didn't really stray away from answering those questions. They just accepted it and told us that it's kind of motivating them. It's the reason why uh, Black came back, Kingsley Jonathan came back, and why McKinley Williams all came back. All six of the super seniors are back. And Coach Babers had a quote talking about how that's big for the program, not only this year, but going forward because of the fact that they're back, they can lead this team and bridge the gap between all the youth that's on the team and all the veteran presence that's on the team because there's so many young freshmen and sophomores that are going to play key pieces in this uh, for this team in this season. But there's also a bunch of sixth-year seniors, fifth-year seniors, and fourth-year seniors that are on this team that have been on campus that have played for Babers for quite a while. And the fact that they can come back and lead those guys and really show them the way, show them the ropes, is just huge for the program. And you mentioned that they didn't really shy away from the tough questions. And Josh Black, like you said, took it head on. He said, we were 1-10 last year. Those are horrific numbers. That was his quote. And I think that for Syracuse fans, that should be something you want to hear from these guys rather than them saying, you know, we'll be back and just giving you kind of like the, the dumb answers that everybody kind of expects. So I think it was a positive experience, uh, mostly because they knew that they were bad. And Dino Babers came in and he was like, listen, like, we had injuries, and he, he mentioned a lot of them having been off the football field. Yeah, that was flukes. I didn't really yeah. know what that was. Um, but he said, you know, we've had injuries, and we had a really hard year last year, but we're going to come back this year, and we're going to put in the work, and we're going to win football games. Now, we all know Dino Babers is a big believer in the Holy Trinity. If you read the athletic article of the, uh, the state of the program of Syracuse, he said, you know, they went 4-8, and 4-8, and eight, and then 10-3, and three, now 5-7, and 1-10. and 10. Maybe you should expect something big from Syracuse. That's what Babers believes. But what stuck out to you from Babers today? Well, just that. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want the high highs and the super low lows. You just said it. 4-8, and 4-8, 10-3, 5-7, 1-10. and Syracuse is all over the map. How about we get some consistency up well, in here? That's what he mentioned. He said that he wanted consistency, and he right. mentioned those inconsistent numbers, saying he wanted to consistently finally play great football. I don't know if that's what we're going to see from him. You and I both asked him questions, you about the run game, me about their, their D-backs, and I think he was really positive on both of those ends, saying that those are both groups that are really going to help this team in the future. What did you hear from him in the break or the breakout room afterwards? I heard quite a few things, and I talked to Harris, Service, and Black specifically. Babers as well, of course. One, th I asked him a lot of different things. I asked about recruiting and, and the offense. The, the first thing I did ask about, though, was the defense. And was he surprised by how good the unit was last year, despite not having spring ball, despite Tony White coming in as a year one defensive coordinator, and despite putting in a 3-3-5? And usually when you install a new defense, it's not going to be tailor-made for the personnel that you have on your team. But, you know, the, the defense... I would argue, I think you would agree with me, kept Syracuse in so many games last year. And the question last year and the question entering this year is, can the Orange score some points? And Babers said that himself. The difference this year is, can we score some points to help out this defense? Because they were very good last year. And despite what critics may say about total yardage and this and that and that and this, it's all about the points on the scoreboard. And, and really, uh, the hard truth is that the defense played well enough to give Syracuse a chance to win enough games to make a bowl game. And they'll probably do the same this year as well. Matt Bonaparte and John Eads coming straight from North Carolina at ACC kickoff. We've got coverage all week, previewing every team that we heard from today and yesterday. Make sure you tune into our coverage. We have a content hub on orangefizz.net. Maybe make sure to check that to see what we've posted. We'll also have tweets and everything else. Um, 
here's my other question. We heard from a lot of other teams, John, um, and, and it seems like the ACC is going to stack up as a very solid conference this year. There's a lot of good competition. You have teams like FSU, Wake Forest, BC even, that are, that are trying to make a, a big leap in terms of their play. Syracuse, one of them, but probably less so. Who do you think might emerge in the ACC kind of as a sleeper uh, that will give Syracuse and the rest of the conference trouble? It's a great question because other than, you know, Clemson typically dominates in the Atlantic, we know that, but the Coastal is, is not wide open, but there's three or four different teams that could win it. You think about North Carolina, you think about Miami, you know, those two are going to battle it out and go head to head. You could even throw Virginia, Virginia Tech in the category a little bit as well, probably more so Virginia, but I think as far as sleeper teams go, you could find some in the Atlantic. I think Boston College is a sleeper team, what they bring back offensively, Phil Dracovic at quarterback. Zay Flowers at wide receiver, and of course Jeff Halfley back for year two. He's just a tremendous coach. What he did there in year one is great. And then you could throw NC State into the equation as well. They bring back a bulk of their team. Like I think it was 19 out of 22 starters are back for them. A lot of those guys on defense, very experienced as well. You talk about Peyton Wilson. I got some quotes from him. I'm going to do a story on him later on, him and the Wolfpack. Uh, so I think NC State's very slept on. And then Wake Forest is another sleeper team. All of these teams are in the Atlantic Division. Unfortunately, that's the same one as Syracuse. And head-to-head, -head, I don't have the Orange beating any of those three teams, but they're, they're, they're great squads. So I'm not sure that's, that's kind of a demerit to Syracuse as much as it is a praise to those teams. So I think the sleeper teams in the ACC this year, Wake Forest, Boston College, NC State. And I think Wake Forest is one of those teams, probably the, the number one on my list to make a leap in the ACC this year. I think Sam Hartman and the rest of that offense is really poised, especially with Jakari Roberson back, to make a huge jump. And that's what Dave Clawson talked about a lot today. He talked about they're really happy that they've made five straight bowl games for the first time in the history of the program, but they want to be better than that. They want to make that leap to the point where they're competing for the ACC title every single year and they're making New Year's Six Bowls. So I think you have to respect the... Uh, animosity that Wake Forest brings, but also take it with a grain of salt because they are Wake Forest at the end of the day. They're not exactly Alabama. Um, so I don't know exactly what we're going to see uh, this year from them, but I think they're going to be a solid squad. Taking it back to Syracuse for a moment, uh, looking at guys like Josh Black and Aaron Service who have been on this team for a very, very long time, you and I wanted to discuss with them and maybe didn't get the chance to about what did they learn from the older players that they wanted to impact on the newer players. Did you get anything from them on that? I didn't get anything from Black, but I did get something from Taj Harris, and I tweeted it at uh, my Twitter. You can find that on Orange Fizz. We retweeted it on there. He said he learned a lot from Jamal Custis, a lot from Sean Riley. And when I asked the question, I was like, Steve Ishmael, Irvin Phillips, no, no. He came in, it was Jamal Custis, it was Dante Strickland, it was Sean Riley, it was those guys showing him the ropes, and now Harris, a few years later, is the guy on this offense for Syracuse, and he has a chance to be the all-time leading receiver in school history. And it, that's what we just talked about before. We prefaced that with, with the fact that all these super seniors are coming back this year to provide that leadership for the young guys. So four or five years down the road, it's going to be Jahad Carter up there. Uh, it's going to be Amari Hatcher up there. It's going to be Enrique Cruz up there talking about how the, the guy Aaron Service, you know, uh, Taj Harris, all these guys were showing them the ropes years prior. And the other thing Dino Babers said was, in 2018, the same quarterback who started the year finished the year. So to me, that hints at the guy who's going to play week one for Syracuse 
is probably going to play the last week of this regular season as well, or Dino Baber's going to die trying because he wants to replicate that success, and that's one way of doing so. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the answer for this team. I don't know your opinion on that, though. I, I don't have an opinion on it, but I, it was good for me to hear that. As I heard that, my ears kind of perked up because I, was like, because I was like, okay, well, he wants to find consistency in the quarterback room. That might be why Tommy DeVito's not here. That might be why we haven't really heard anything from the quarterback uh, battle. Matt Bonaparte and John Eads coming straight from North Carolina. Make sure you follow all of our coverage at Twitter or on Twitter at OrangeFizz and on OrangeFizz.net. Jaron and Cam, take it right back for a five-star review. Five-star review. Five-star ride. I'd like to share with you one of our five-star reviews. Hey, five stars. Back here on Fizz Radio, that was Matt Bonaparte and John Eads down at the ACC football kickoff. They have been doing so much reporting and creating so much content for us. Make sure you go check it out, orangefizz.net. Make sure you go listen to everything that they have created on our SoundCloud by searching Orange Fizz. And of course, follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz. But now we are back. Jaron May, Cameron Zare, breaking down our five-star review and all of the recruits on the basketball court. We're not going to touch on any football right now. We're just going to stick with basketball because the basketball recruiting for Syracuse in the class of 2022 has been off the wall, and it seems like every day more and more excitement comes to this program and comes to some of the names that Syracuse is in on. Now, they're not going to get everyone, but they are in on a couple more names. They already have a couple Let's kind of center this five-star review around the Peach Jam tournament that was happening. Uh, It's probably the biggest tournament on the AAU cycle um, for big-name recruits. And we'll kind of just go name-by-name, tell you how they did, and I'll let Cam just give his recruiting uh, pitch on, you know, who these guys are, why Syracuse would want them, and just a little recap. So, Cam, let's start with Justin Taylor. He's a class of 2022 four-star small forward uh, at Pearl Jam. He tallied 10.6 rebounds, six assists in the really only game since his team lost to pro skills. But still, that's those are pretty good numbers going up against some of the best competition on the AAU circuit. Well, and you also have to realize that a lot of what Peach Jam has to offer is, you know, there are scouts in the building, scouts in attendance. These guys are looking to, you know, they're, they're continuing their recruitment into the AAU circuit. And Justin Taylor has already locked down his recruitment by committing to Syracuse. So putting up numbers like that, I mean, that's a really good thing when you, when you're an orange fan, because If you look at Justin Taylor and what he has to offer, yes, he can be a perimeter scorer. He can also be a guy that can drive to the cup. But something that Justin Taylor does well is his versatility. He's really good on the defensive side because of his size. On top of that, you talked about, you said 10 points and he had five plus assists and rebounds it's a guy that can really do it all and for Syracuse to center their 2020 recruiting or 2022 recruiting class around Kamari Lands and Justin Taylor two guys that can really stuff the stat sheet that's a really good line for Justin Taylor moving forward 
lands as you said also at pearl jam and his team is still playing so he's still racking up the stats uh let's get into some actual recruits that have not committed and again this is fizz radio jaron may cameron is there go follow us on twitter at orange fizz uh the big name that's really impressed at pearl jam at least for me so far is chance westry the 6'6 195 pound small forward out of new york he had listen to this 17 points, six boards, four steals. That last one is really what's impressive to me. He's not only worrying about the offensive end, which in these AAU tournaments is what most guys care about. He was really trying on the defensive end in that one game. Yeah, I mean, Chance Westry, and it's it's interesting because you look at who Syracuse wants to recruit. If you've been following on our on our website, orangefizz.net, I've put up a lot of articles about a guy like Kadir Copeland, or even you talk about J.J. Starling, but Chance Westry, you're kind of overlooking him because, you know, he he's someone that came out of the woodwork and you really didn't expect him to do so. He's, he's upped his ranking to the point where Syracuse needs to really, you know, get on this guy, and they have. He visited back on June 6th. 16th. He can put up a stat line. It's a guy in 247 sports that's ranked top 40 in the entire nation. Good thing for Syracuse, a couple crystal ball predictions have him going to central New York. But what Chance Westry does so well is he utilizes his size. 6'6", 190, can move like a guard, but can shoot like a uh, shoot like a two or a three, but can also get big inside like a shooting forward or a power forward. It's something that Chance Westry does so well and why he's so valuable to to the success of that 2022 team if he commits to Syracuse. This is a big one for the Orange. They need Chance Westry because as you saw at Peach Jam, he's someone that can do it all. And for Chance Westry, it's not just the offensive side. You mentioned it, the defensive side as well. If he can put on some pounds if he comes to Central New York, become 6'6", 205, it's someone that can dominate in the ACC. He can do it all. He can score. He can rebound. He can assist. And he's also a dog on the defensive side. I love love how Chance Westry plays and he proved it at Peach Jam. Hey, he's one of those guys that, you know, he has this the height of a small forward, but he can play as a guard. And I, I think that's what Syracuse really tries to recruit because the two three zone, you want that length, but you also want talented enough players that you can, you know, maybe slide up into the front end of the two three zone. And instead of playing him as a small forward, you can play him as a shooting guard and have that length at the top of the zone and it's it's exactly what chance westry offers so you know two crystal balls like you said for chance westry coming to syracuse he impresses at one of the most talented and important tournaments on the ac on the aau circuit someone else that is playing at peach jam is someone that you that you already mentioned it's kudir copeland he put up uh, it was a decent number and he's not as hyped up of a recruit as some of these other guys he's only a three-star he's not made it into the four-star ranking yet uh, he had six points three boards four assists in his one loss on tuesday so he was decent and that's exactly what he is i think he's a game manager that can you know be a solid point guard he's not going to be flashy he's not going to be joe gerard that tries to shoot the lights out of the ball and gets upset when he doesn't make it or gets the entire dome on their feet if he does make it he just doesn't strike me as that guy he strikes me more of you know a jalen carey type where he just does his job 
and he gets off the court. He's a true position player. You talk about him as a combo guard, but I think he could be that true point guard for Syracuse. When you talk about a guy like Kadir Copeland, I think he's the most talented three-star point guard in his class. Because of his size, he stands at 6'6", something that Kadir Copeland really separates himself from the rest, or something that he does that separates himself, is he has the ability to grow and develop. Kadir Copeland can, you know, facilitate. He can also run an offense. If he could push Joe Girard to the two spot, which a lot of people have been begging Jim Beheim to do, I think that Copeland can prove that he's much more than a three-star when it comes to developing over time. So there you go. That's Peach Jam. Before we stop talking about that, and again, Fizz Radio, Jaron May, Cameron is there. Follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz. There were two Syracuse recruits that were at Peach Jam. However, they are not playing there anymore. Not because their team got knocked out or anything like that. Instead, they are they came down and they attract or they have COVID nineteen. It's a positive case for both JJ Starling and for Kyle Filipowski, two of probably the top-tier talents that Syracuse is really going after. I would say those are the top two guys, and we're going to get into that in in just a second, of who Syracuse really wants. Uh, But not having them play at Peach Jam, Cam, do you see that as, you know, there's kind of two sides to this. One, it's, hey, they're not playing at Peach Jam. That means that there's less eyes on them, which means that maybe fewer teams are really going to get attracted and see, oh, wow, we really got to get on this guy's radar. Or there's the other side where he misses a tournament and you're like, well, we want that opportunity to evaluate and see how this player plays against the other top tier AAU players on the circuit. Yeah, I mean for Kyle Filipowski, it's the it's by far the the idea that he needs scouts to watch him. And, and Filipowski has proved over time that he is the talent that every single team in college basketball wants and needs. But to watch him at a tournament like Peach Jam and dominate, it just you know it it, it it's. It verifies that he is that good. It verifies the fact that this is a guy that every single college basketball team should want. Why I don't think it matters in Flip's case is I think how Flip is viewing this entire tournament and this entire summer is I'm either going to Duke or I'm considering Syracuse. Duke looks like the front runners right now, so I don't think that it really matters in Flip's case. When it comes to J.J. Starling, though, it's someone that doesn't have, you know, as high level of... Uh, college basketball teams coming after him that he's really considering. Maryland, Stanford, and Syracuse on 247 are the only ones where the interest is warm or above. So yes, you have teams like Duke and Alabama vying for him, but I'm looking at a guy like J.J. Starling. He needed this tournament a lot more than the tournament needed him. So for Starling, it's really going to you know impact his recruitment. But I think for Flip, I mean, he's already played so well in his high school basketball circuit. I don't think it matters in his case. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's that, that's a good way to say it. You know, JJ needed the tournament more than the tournament needed JJ. That I, I, I like that one. Now, uh, of those four guys, so let me run through them again. Kudir Copeland, Chance Westry, Kyle Filipowski, JJ Starling. I have a question for you, all right? Just popped in my head. Here we go. If you are Jim Beheim and company and, you know, the the media, including us, which, you know, right hand up, that's that's on us, uh, is hyping up this class of 2022 to be, quote, you know, one of the best that Syracuse has ever had, if not the best. They already have two really good recruits and you got to give them credit for that. 
However, there's still so much hype around this program and around specifically this recruiting class, yet I don't think you can give that title to this recruiting class if they don't add one or two more guys. So of those four guys, I'm just going to give you the question of who does Syracuse need to add out of those four to live up to the best class ever hype? Is it just one guy? Can one guy really push that over and live up to the hype? Or do you think that Syracuse needs to get two? And if so, what are the names that are into this equation, at least in your opinion? Syracuse right now is a top five recruiting class. I don't think that's a question. Taylor and Kamari Lands, they're two high-level four-star commits. So I think right now Syracuse is top five. But that's because no other school has caught up to them. Duke is going to catch up. North Carolina is going to do much of the same. Same with Kentucky. Same with Kansas. Whoever gets Jalen Duran, one yeah, of the, the top. Yeah, the Blue Bloods. The Blue Bloods will do Blue Blood things. Exactly. And whoever gets Jalen Duran, they're already in that top five conversation. Exactly. One of the best yep. in the class. But I'm going to make this really, really quick and simple. Kyle Filipowski makes the Syracuse class top three 100%. He's the type of talent that could take a Syracuse group into the Final Four. Because you talk about the positions that the Orange have already filled in Justin Taylor and Kamari Lands, you're missing that guy that's 6'10 and 6'11". Flip fills that role. If it, you know, if it comes to J.J. Starling, Chance Westry, Kadir Copeland, guys that play the point and combo guard position, I think you need at least two of them because you don't know what what transfers are going to be like come 2022 or returnees to Syracuse. So I'm going to go flip. That'll make it a top three if he's the only recruit. But if you're talking about the point and combo guard guys, I think you need at least two. So where I land on this debate is Chance Westry is a great player and you never say no to great players. You just don't. However, Chance Westry plays pretty much the same way that Kamari Lands and Justin Taylor play. They're all very talented players, but they're all small forwards. They're pretty much the same size and they have pretty much the same playing style. It's a little tweak here and there, but it's like potato, potato. Chance Westry, great player. If he signs with Syracuse, awesome. However, he doesn't push the needle for me. So like you said, Kyle Filipowski is really the guy that would flip the scales. And I would say, boom, you're up to that hype. You're allowed to put the label on this recruiting class. If you got J.J. Starling, I would also say you're pretty darn close. And you can make an argument for being the best class at least in the past, uh, probably since the turn of the century. You, you can't really argue with that if you get three top 40 guys or top 50, depending on you know where you look and which rankings you're looking at. So J.J. Starling would, would get me close. Kyle Filipowski would absolutely get me there. Chance Westry, great player, but he does not fill a need that you have at this moment because you already have filled it. And then Kudir Copeland is a solid player. If he signs with Syracuse, I think that's going to be great. I think he will. I don't. I, I really don't question him anymore. I just think it's a foregone conclusion that he's coming, and he can be the solid role player that you need. Right. No, 100%. I, I completely agree with everything that you just put forward. I, I think that flip is the key for me. Okay. Kyle Filipowski is the key, but Duke is centering all of their attention on him, and that is Pearl Jam for five-star review. Jared May, Cameron is there on Fizz Radio. When we get back, we play two fun games, fictional Fizz and Fizz Feedback. Don't go anywhere.
Wrapping up shop here on Fizz Radio, we are going to get to fictional Fizz and Fizz feedback. It's Jaron May, it's Cameron Ezer. Cameron, uh, we're going to start with fictional Fizz, and this is probably my favorite segment of the show because I get to create random betting lines and you just get a guess at them and it really means nothing because we don't actually put any money down, but it's still fun. There we go. So first one, it's always an over under, over and over or under. 32 and a half sacks allowed by the Syracuse football offensive line this season. Last year, they gave up 38 through 11 games. What's so funny is I actually had this previous question with Matt Bonaparte, so I kind of already have a a point of, you know, I kind of already have my point in my head, which I quite enjoy. I'm going to go over. I think that this team gives up over 35 sacks because although the offensive line has gotten a bit better with uh, with recruits as well as transfers, I don't think that a guy like Tommy DeVito can be protected. I think that he'll run into a lot of his own sacks, and the offensive line isn't so much better where I can start revering them as a top, you know, top half in the ACC. They also play an extra game this year compared to last. All right, next one for Fictional Fizz. We're going to Sean Tucker. Over or under 77 and a half rush yards per game. Last season, in his breakout season, he averaged, uh, let's see, 69 and a half yards. Is he over or under 77 and a half? Well, I've been banking the over. It seems like I won the over in the first one, going the over in this one. I think he'll be a lot better when it comes to how he progressed over the offseason. I'm really interested to see where Sean Tucker lies in running backs in the ACC ranking-wise. I love how Sean Tucker has been playing. I think he continues it. And I have a feeling that when it comes to Sean Tucker, I don't think that the coaching staff will be as stubborn and they'll start handing the ball to him a lot more. That's where Syracuse gets a bulk of their success. Okay, I think Tucker takes a step up. I don't know if he gets to 77 and a half because the backfield for Syracuse is a little more busy this year with a couple guys returning. All right, last fictional fizz. We go to the receiver, Taj Harris, the number one receiver. He had five touchdowns a year ago, over or under seven and a half touchdowns this season. If Syracuse is any success, you have to hit the over, but I'm going to go under. I think that Taj Harris underperforms. Unfortunately, if Garrett Schrader plays, I think that Schrader throws the ball all over the field. If Tommy DeVito plays, I think he has a little more hope in Taj Harris, but I'm going to say that Schrader is going to play more and Taj Harris will underperform. Okay, real quick, we got to get to our Fizz feedback. Those are our polls on our Twitter page. Go follow us at Orange Fizz. First one. Where do you think Syracuse's Bayheim's army ranks and gets to? Is it the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the Final Four, or the Championship in TBT? I think ever I hope that everyone's been listening to the entire show because I said that they'll lose in the championship, and I'm staying pat with that point. This team will make it to the championship, but will not reach the pinnacle. I agree with that one. Next Viz feedback out of the 2022 recruits that Syracuse is still in on. Who do they have to recruit to live up to all of the hype? J.J. Starling, Kyle Filipowski, Zion Cruz, or Chance Westry? Now, Zion Cruz is an interesting one. You haven't touched upon that, but I'm going to go with Kyle Filipowski. If they get flipped, I think this team has Final Four potential. 
Filipowski got 58% of the vote on our Twitter poll. Last one I got for you. Which former Syracuse athlete will have the most success during the 2020, I guess, one Tokyo Olympics? Kyle Alex Kayla Alexander, who's playing for the Canadian basketball team. Jeremy Grant, who's playing for the USA basketball team. Justin Knight, who is playing for the Canadian track team. Or Katie Zafaris, who's running the triathlon for the U.S.? I think that Jeremy Grant will get gold with the men's basketball team, but he won't have the bulk of the success I think the other players do. I'm giving it to Justin Knight individually. Give him at least silver or gold in that meet. I also went Justin Knight, and that's where the people went to. 52% of the vote to Justin Knight on the Canadian track team. All right, that's Fizz Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cam Azair, Jaron May, go follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz. Listen to our SoundCloud at OrangeFizz and check out all of our written content on our website, orangefizz.net. We're signing off. Enjoy TBT coming up today.